This is VLX number 82, The Parable of the Sower, Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. God give you his peace, and omni pati sefirit, spiritu santi, amen. God our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In omni pati sefirit, spiritu santi, amen. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Today, imagine Jesus sitting in a boat on this perfect day on the Sea of Galilee with maybe just a few clouds and a bright blue sky over Israel. Today's section, notice at the very beginning it uses the verb sit twice. You see, rabbis often sat to teach. Father Lapide says, By and by, since he knew that the multitudes who were hanging on his every word drawn by his heavenly doctrine and spirit were about to come to him in such numbers that the house could not contain them, he went out to the wide open shore of the Sea of Galilee and there preached the following parables. So notice right there, it says, first Jesus sat by the sea, but then he got into a boat and sat down. Imagine Jesus sitting in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. At a museum today near the Sea of Galilee, they have a boat they claim is around the first century. Obviously, it would not have looked so worn out 2,000 years ago, but I presume it's accurate on its size. It's on this boat, you can picture Jesus sitting, as it would have been intact a couple thousand years ago. And picture as Jesus sits on this boat, maybe picture that white seamless garment that Mary made him that he's wearing as he sits there. Picture his peaceful and loving face. No American fake smile, just peaceful and loving. Now where's he looking? Where is his eyes directed before preaching? I picture him either probably gazing humbly down or perhaps looking up to his heavenly father before he's ready to teach. Ask yourself in the Ignatian way of prayer, what is the water like? The water upon which this boat is that holds Jesus. I picture it pretty peaceful, maybe just the occasional wave barely moving his boat. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. Well, place yourself there with them all. Remember, Jesus wasn't just every man in every century. He was the real God-man who became incarnate in a real place and a real time in history where you can place yourself right now. Notice every time he preaches, there's always an electricity, but it's not this frenetic energy. Ironically, it's always accompanied by the most tranquil and deep atmosphere of total peace. This is an environment where you could hear him preach for hours without you getting sleepy or bored or even anxious about the time. Picture yourself standing there and listening to Jesus, even giving you a parable. You think you know where it's going, but remember, it's Jesus saying it this time. 
And as long as we're in the imaginative way of prayer, I want to give you the spirituality of some different religious orders. You know, every religious order worth its salt does mental prayer, but they have different approaches to the life of Jesus. I take these examples from a priest friend and kind of from my own extrapolation. So maybe ask yourself as you listen, which religious congregation, I know it's most of you who are lay out there listening, which religious congregation would your soul kind of function within if you were religious, as each congregation reflects a different part of the life, the specific life of Jesus? So here's kind of how it goes. The Benedictine life reflects the life of Jesus in Nazareth. It reflects the cycles of the year, the cycles of the seasons, and the order that comes from a life that is ordered in silence and work, just as Jesus would have obeyed Mary and Joseph while living in in Nazareth. Probably some miracles, but the humdrum of life would have been uh, worship and silence and, um, and work, essentially. Now, the Carmelites... This is maybe the spirituality of following Jesus to the desert, following Jesus up Mount Tabor. Um, Maybe in some sense, uh, being with Yahweh himself as Elijah on Mount Carmel right there. It's a desert intimacy, alone with thee alone, as the Carmelites say. The Dominican way is teaching, teaching with Christ. The Dominican way is teaching with Christ. The Franciscan and the Jesuit way that uses this discursive mental prayer that I do on this imaginative way of prayer Um, This is, maybe we could say, walking a pilgrimage to suffer in Jerusalem with Jesus. It's a band of brothers on the way to war, but not a war where they're going to kill, but a a war where they're going to die of love, die in charity for the life of the world, to give their lives that others might live. And in this is a worship of, as I said before, Jesus as God and Savior, but also as a best friend. This is these, the band of brothers walking the way to Jerusalem. All of these different religious congregations that reflect these different parts of the life of Jesus are valid. And in fact, we all walk all those parts with Jesus if we're faithful, but different congregations put the emphasis on different parts of his life. One more time, the Benedictine way is the way of Nazareth, family life. And I really think that this is um, reflected, especially in family life, because families aren't called to just run off to a foreign country and get slaughtered as martyrs. It might come here, But really, family life is probably closest to the Benedictine lifestyle. The Carmelites, as I said, is this desert intimacy. You're on the mountain with the prophets, but but really on the mountain with Elijah where only the honor and glory of God exist. Or maybe you're on Tabor with Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John, where only the glory of God exists. The Dominicans teaching with Christ, much like today at the beach. And like I said, the Franciscan Jesuit way is walking the pilgrimage to suffer in Jerusalem. You know, I was just reading about Father Juan de Padilla, and he was the first saint canonized who was actually born in the Americas. Father Juan de Padilla was a Franciscan, later martyred by being crucified in Japan. So born in Mexico and crucified in Japan in 1597. You see, this is truly walking the way with one's eyes sent like flint set like Flint to Jerusalem to die with Jesus. What a beautiful life these Franciscans and Jesuits used to live. Now let's talk a little bit about parables because we're finally jumping into parables. And growing up, I have to say, I always found these parables really boring, to tell you the truth. And maybe that's because they were explained to me in very shallow terms. This is why, ironically, the church fathers are going to make things more exciting. I hate billing things as more exciting. Uh, but really they are because, you know, these the church fathers are a direct line to the apostles, which is why when I say these words, Father Lapide, I'm almost saying that's apostolic teaching. 
In fact, did you know that the Catholic Church teaches that any time the early fathers write unanimously on any doctrinal topic, it's considered infallible or nearly infallible? Oh yes, much more than ex cathedra statements are infallible in the Church. Listen to Trent in Vatican I that I'm going to quote you, and I want you to hear that this means that when I quote you the Church Fathers, they are truly the full and articulated sense of Holy Mother Church. So here's what Trent says about reading the Bible with the Fathers. Furthermore, in order to restrain petulant spirits, it decrees that no one relying on his own skill shall, in matters of faith and of morals pertaining to the edification of Christian doctrine, resting the sacred scripture to his own senses, presume to interpret the said sacred scripture contrary to that sense which Holy Mother Church, whose it is to judge of the true sense and interpretation of the Holy Scriptures, hath held and doth hold, or even contrary to the unanimous consent of the fathers, even though such interpretations were never intended to be at any time published. It should say, even if such interpretations were never intended to be at any time published. Contraveners shall be made known by their ordinaries and be punished by the penalties, with the penalties by law established. That's Trent, fourth session, second tree. So notice decree. Notice right there that the unanimous consent of the fathers is the sense of Holy Mother Church. And to go against this goes against the articulated faith and morals of the Catholic Church. This isn't just the devotional opinions of a few guys in the desert. This is the teaching of the church. Vatican I backs this up, quote, But since the rules which the Holy Synod of Trent salutarily decreed concerning the interpretation of divine scripture in order to restrain impetuous minds are wrongly explained by certain men, we, renewing the same decree, declare this to be its intention, that in matters of faith and morals pertaining to the instruction of Christian doctrine, that must be considered as the true sense of sacred scriptures which Holy Mother Church has held and holds, whose office it is to judge concerning the true understanding and interpretation of the sacred scriptures, and for that reason, no one is permitted to interpret sacred scripture itself contrary to this sense or even to the unanimous agreement of the fathers. End quote. That's Vatican I, chapter 2. Notice again, it says, nobody is permitted to interpret sacred scripture contrary to the unanimous agreement of the fathers. So that shows you that much of what I quote by Father Lapide is dogmatic. It's not devotional. It's quite nearly infallible. It's quite nearly the infallible interpretation of scripture. Most of the times I say that weird word, Lapide. That's why I can say this is probably the only free patristic Bible study on YouTube and podcasts. And really why it's pure of doctrine, not because of me, but because it's purely patristic and based on the saints. And as you know, I usually throw in my own opinion, but I tell you, this is my opinion or my meditation, of course. So let's do just that, go verse by verse, looking at what Father Lapide has to say. And since I'm a little pressed for time on this one, I'm just going to read you from the Dewey Rhymes since that's what he uses. So let's jump into verse 3. And he spoke to them many things in parables. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Let's just talk about that first sentence right, right there. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. Father Lapide says, For just as seed, earth, sun, rain, and wind are needed for the natural harvest, so also similar things are needed for the evangelical and spiritual harvest. The seed is the word of God, or the gospel, and the preaching of it. The earth is the free will of all who hear. The sun is provenient grace, illuminating and inflaming the free will that it may receive the word of God, so as from it to produce the fruits of charity and all virtues. The rain is grace, 
watering, preserving, and promoting these good acts and motions of the free will. The winds are temptations which, by agitating them, cause them to take deeper root and strengthen them. Lastly, there is need of patience, Greek hupomone, endurance in the labors and troubles of plowing, sowing, harrowing, weeding, and long waiting for the reward and fruit of the harvest. So let's look at a few things in the analogy here. Of course, all of you know that the seed is the word of God. That's something that Catholics and Protestants, Orthodox would all agree on. But did you know this? Father Lapide says that the earth is the free will. The earth is the free will. Son is prevenient grace. That's what St. Augustine called grace that can even hit our souls even before we're baptized, even before we're justified, even before we're sanctified. God gives these actual graces along the way to bring us to him in the church so that we can be saved. Now, here's a really interesting one. The winds are temptations which, by agitating them, cause them to take deeper root and strengthen them. Do you ever think of that? That the winds in your life, the temptations, are actually there to strengthen you? The strongest trees, the strongest plants have all faced a lot of wind. How beautiful is this that um, Jesus and a distant second, the fathers and Father Lapide, are telling us that the winds are temptations that aren't there to destroy us. They're here to bring us to deeper roots and strengthen us. And last thing I want to note on verse 3 here, notice that um, the whole point of this is that we can receive the word of God so as to produce the fruits of charity and all virtues. We don't receive the word of God just to tell people we're saved. The whole point of this is union with God in charity and all virtues. Very Catholic understanding of this, but you really can't flip this to have a, a Protestant understanding because this is something that takes a lifetime in some sense. There's people who can convert immediately, but the, the point is here that a lifetime of charity and all virtues takes some time. We're going to see that in one of these uh, future verses. Let's take a look at, um, still on verse 3 here, Father Lapide says there's three types of uh, different results. One, not all who hear the gospel accept it and believe it as seed, although sown in the earth does not everywhere spring up or strike root in the earth, for instance, in the road or beside the road in the hard trampled earth. Number two, not all who believe persevere in the faith, but some fall away under temptation like seed which sprouts in stony ground quickly withers by the sun's heat. Number three, not all who preserve in the faith bring forth the fruit of good works, just as thorns choke seed bringing, springing up well in otherwise good ground and prevent it from bearing fruit. Now, what actually happens with all these and what are our temptations? This is so amazing where everything lines up with Catholic doctrine here. These things happen not through the fault of the seed, that is, of doctrine, but of the earth. It is the fault of the hearers, and that in various ways. It is partly on account of the rocks, partly on account of the thorn. Now, listen closely to here. As most of you know, the Bible can be extrapolated out to show that the three main enemies of our soul— is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three are named directly in the Council of Trent, which I just mentioned, by the way. Well, Father Lapide shows that the rock is the flesh. This is his exact words. Quote, the rock is the flesh, the thorns are the world, and the highway is the habit of a worldly and licentious life where the birds of the air, that is the devil, the devils, like swift, eager, and voracious devourers of souls, snatch away the doctrine that has been preached. So notice that the world that is our temptation the world is like the thorns the rock is like the flesh and the way filled with birds is the way of the devil let me say that again world flesh and devil world is the thorns flesh is the rock devil is the birds and those go in order of increasing danger right there we can lose our soul to any three of those 
Um, but obviously, like a life of Satanism is worse than a fleshly life, and a fleshly life is worse than just kind of being surrounded by the world. But essentially, what we're going to see in these future verses here is it is our goal with our free will. This is why we believe in free will. We actually have the ability, in cooperation with God's grace, to reduce the world of flesh and the devil in our life if we want this harvest to be full. You see, I used to see this parable as almost predestination, like the soil is just the family you're born in, and if you're not born in a good Christian family, you're just in big trouble. But Father Lapide says the good ground is a faithful and devoted conscience. In some sense, this almost implies even a good and devoted conscience before you become a Christian, before you become a Catholic. I think many of you have heard of that tribe in Montana that was um, before the Jesuits got there. They were pagans, but they were high pagans. They believed in only one God. They only had one wife. They tried not to be warring tribes. And lo and behold, this shouldn't be too shocking, of all the tribes that the Jesuits came to in North America, I believe they were the ones with the highest level of converts. They were waiting for them. They were excited for the gospel because they were living natural virtue. I'm not saying natural virtue is enough to save you. We obviously need the blood of Jesus Christ and grace to be saved. But um, if we are choosing to follow our conscience, even, even if there's any non-Christian listeners, this is why it's important to listen to your conscience. I'm not saying conscience is going to save you, but it's going to prepare you a lot better for all the graces that come in baptism. This is why Pope St. Gregory the Great says here in Lapide, it often happens that when the heart of the listener is not filled with God's grace because sins drive it away, it is in vain for him to be admonished externally. So notice that sins can drive away our ability even to receive grace. This is why the soil, again, the good ground, is a faithful and devoted conscience. None of this stuff is predestination, and none of this has to do with just the family you're born in. We all have the ability to change um, the, the earth, which is our free will, as Father Lapide says, and to try to overturn the world, the flesh, and the devil in our life. Okay, verse 5, And some other fell upon stony ground, where they had not much earth, and they sprung up immediately because they had no deepness. Father Lapide says, For that which is quickly produced, quickly perishes. Now, of course, there's a few exceptions to this, like St. Paul, who had this immediate conversion. But let's remember this. You know, I think sometimes we think if St. Paul had immediate conversion, then everywhere he went, just everyone believed him and stuff. But no, not everybody always believed him. And sometimes his preaching was so boring, a kid fell off of a second or third story window and fell and uh, was thinking cardiac arrest. But Paul came over and miraculously raised him. So he put him to sleep by his preaching and then went over and miraculously raised him. But, you know, let's remember even before that, St. Paul had to go to the desert of Arabia for three, three years, even after his baptism. He obviously got the grace of conversion on the way to Damascus, the grace of sanctifying grace at baptism, but still he had to, so maybe we could call it, get rewired from Pharisaical Judaism of persecuting the Christians to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That took three years of rewiring in the desert in Arabia. So, you know, this is where even the immediate conversions need a lot of formation. People talk about the retreat high. Um, I'm not against those those firework retreats where all these changes happen in people's lives. That's that's great. But as everybody knows, you have to have major follow-up on those or you're going to just get scorched by, by the life that is around you. And this is why, again, and others, some fell upon stony ground where they had not much earth and they sprung up immediately because they had no deepness. This is why you got to go deep into formation after... Uh, a retreat. You know, and sometimes there's been times in my life where I'm like, ah, I don't need to do like 15 or 30 minutes of mental prayer. I'll just do like four holy hours this weekend. 
Well, that's stupid for two reasons. One, it goes against what the doctors of the church like St. Francis de Sales say, that a moderate amount of prayer keeps you grounded and in this slow growth that we see in today's parable. And two, it never happens. If you can't get 15 minutes today, you're not going to make it to adoration for four holy hours this weekend. So this is where I think we all have to listen very closely under this parable. We are called to go slow but steady in the Christian life. If you fall, go to confession. But we need this um, 15 minutes of mental prayer more than the fireworks of you know all-night vigils, things that, things that are awesome, things that I did a lot of in seminary, and I think it bore a lot of good fruit. But ultimately, St. Francis de Sales tells us the, the slow and steady way to win the race is to see the, the virtues slowly grow through mental prayer, rosary mass, and everything else. Okay, verse 6. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had not root. Father Lapide says, Hence such are only pleased by the sweetness of the word which they hear and of heavenly promises for a short time, but they strike not the root of desire unto salvation. St. John Chrysostom then gives this incredible quote. He says, With regard to souls, that which is rock may become good ground, that which is wayside not trodden down, and the thorns may be destroyed. Christ was speaking to all, even as if he were providing for the future, how he might declare what I ought to do and have not done. Hereby he teaches his disciples not to be slothful, even though many of the hearers may perish. So again, this shows this isn't this predestination of just like what family you were born in. You have the chance to change the soil and overturn the world, the flesh, and the devil in your life. This is a parable of taking responsibility for your life and letting it bear the fruit of the gospel. Verse 7, And others fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Paul uses he points to the Greek word anabasin, which is they ascended. That is, these little plants. They grew and spread more quickly than the good seed, which rises slowly and by degrees. You know, some weed killer functions by making the roots so big, it brings in so much water, it just explodes the weed. And so this kind of goes back to this retreat high that um, going slow in uh, by degrees, rising slowly by degrees, is probably better than just having like a super intense retreat high and then falling back into sin the very next week, the very next weekend. Again, I'm all for retreats, but we need that um, that slow growth and by degrees. Verse eight, and others fell upon good ground and they brought forth fruit, some hundredfold and some sixtyfold. Father Lapide says. Some seed bears less fruit, some greater, some the greatest. For instance, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. That is on account either of the great sowing, that is preaching and illumination of spiritual things, and the assistance of grace, or on account of greater efforts and cooperation of free will with grace. Notice right there, that's the Catholic faith, cooperation of free will with grace. We don't believe it's only grace without free will like the Calvinists do, and we also don't just believe this is Pelagianism where it's all up to us. It truly is cooperation of free will with grace. And the more you do that, the more fruit you will bear, the more conversions you will have. Last verse, verse 9, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Father Lapide says, Christ makes use of this expression when the subject is obscure and symbolic or arduous and difficult so as to arouse the attention of his hearers. Ears to hear, ears suited to hearing. He speaks of one who hears and listens diligently to the words of Christ with the intention of receiving them and ruminating upon them, obeying them, and putting them into action. 
For many heard Christ out of curiosity, for the sake of listening to something new, learned, sublime, and elegant, not so as to impress the things they heard upon their minds and to carry them out. Such had not ears for hearing. Please say an hour, Father, for me, et benedictio de potentis. Patris et Filii, et Spiritus Sancti, descendet super vos, et mani et semper. Amen.